Welcome back, everyone, to the second installment of Massive Month. I'm your host, Josh Scar, joined by two co-hosts this week. Uh, we have Matt. Welcome back. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Can't complain. We got we're talking more massive verse stuff, so it's just going to be more massively awesome stuff. Uh, we are also joined by John again. John, welcome back. You're still on mute. Thank again. you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> great to be here. I'm glad I'm still uh, bringing the the issues with operating a computer. <laughs> well, at least you didn't concuss yourself again this time. Yeah, I'm you know, getting slowly better. And the reason we are here, we are here talking with uh, the creator, co-creator. Uh, is it co-creator or is it creator of the Dead Lucky, Melissa? Uh, always co-creator because we share credits with our artists. We are nothing without our artists. So even if we write the stories, they it's just a bunch of scripts until those artists draw them. But hi, <laughs> how are you guys? <laughs> we are joined by <laughs> Melissa Flores. Um, so I appreciate that clarification because it makes sense to me that the 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 writer and artist would share credit, but sometimes <clears throat> Stanley sometimes <clears throat> um, doesn't share the credit. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to call anybody out or anything on that, but I I, I personally <laughs> am a big like again I I can't draw for crap so. <laughs> the only reason I am able to work in comics is because I have amazing artists who draw what I write. And um, yeah, and they deserve to be co-creators. Even if the story comes from me, they're the ones that are creating, creating it on the page and bringing it to life. So if it's a, if it's a creator-owned book, chances are I will be a co-creator. Um, it is rare that I will not share that credit. And if it, that day comes, it's probably for some incredible reason, like I suddenly learned how to draw. <laughs> or you really hate the artist yeah. in which case i don't know why he'd even be on or that she would even be on the book or whoever it is so, <laughs> so uh, among your credits uh for things that you are doing right now you are writing you have been writing mighty morphin power rangers for boom studios yes i have yeah it was announced at san diego comic-con that you're also going to be writing uh, a spider gwen uh miniseries mm-hmm. uh, four-issue right? miniseries yeah. Uh, Spider Gwen on tour, which I do have questions about. Uh, we're going to talk kind of the whole breadth of your your current roster of work, and of course, we we spoke briefly or we spoke uh, a while ago about the Dead Lucky, mm-hmm. and uh, you're back to talk more about BB and w- her place in the massive verse, and uh, can't be more excited to get into it. But the first question we always ask our guests is, "What you doing? What do you do when you're not stressed about deadlines and uh, other things involving your work? What what helps you relieve that stress? Um, <laughs> I don't know if there has been anything. No, um, so <laughs> there's two things that have actually been really uh, terrible for me um, because it's killed my productivity. Uh, the first one is there's a creator, content creator on YouTube called Swoop who does his incredible okay. true crime influencer documentaries. And I just have fallen down the swoop rabbit hole and just watching everything. And I keep kidding myself being like, I'll just listen while I work. And it just does not work that <laughs> way. Uh, so there's that. And also I've been trying to get into Starfield, but it has been slow going for me. Like I want to love it, but I'm having a hard time mm. and I don't know why, but I'm, that seems yeah. to be the case for Bethesda games. In my experiences, once you get past like the tutorial phase, it's like, 
every everyone's favorite thing ever but you got to get through that like creator uh create a character and the tutorial stuff yeah i mean i went through all that i'm like i, I have to say like a, again like i said it just killed my productivity i've got i'm like what 20 <laughs> hours in i got way past the like i finally figured out how to do my first outpost and i like have like i my my companion and i've been through all the space and everything for some reason it's just not like Fallout Four, I was in it. I was ready, and yeah, and, right. and I think I think I cracked it. I think it was Fallout Four. You immediately knew your tragedy, what what was happening to you, and mm. and what you wanted, what you had to do. Right, like you had to get your your son back, and you had lost your husband, yeah. and that was like you're in this brand new world, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, but you knew what you had to do. And Starfield, I think I feel like. And, and I hope I'm not getting canceled for any of this because it, it is a, <laughs> I played it like 20, 30 hours already and not planning on stopping anytime soon, but like they just, you're, you're just kind of thrown in there and, and you don't yeah. really have a goal. Even the, 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 the thing that happens to you is just so vague that I don't know how this is suddenly supposed to change your life and make you want to go find more things to do with it yeah right and and so i think that's like i've been marinating on like what my problem is because I, I usually love bethesda games i feel like skyrim kind of like oh, you kind of so hits the same road where you're just like you just you make up your character you say who you are and then you're just thrown in the action but for some reason it feels different and i think it's because that opening you know <laughs> when you're woken up and you're a prisoner on this thing you know now that's now a meme um Again, it, it's such a traumatic experience for you that you feel like the, the you have nothing else to do but explore. But Starfield, I don't know. I have to figure it out. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm in yeah. love with anybody yet. Like in terms of the characters, like you know, Barnett as a companion is really charismatic, and and I love. Um, I think her name is Stacy, but I'm still just like I'm not like. I'm not in love with this idea of constellation yet. And I don't know if the worlds don't feel unique enough for me to want to like go and see everything. So this is now a Starfield pod podcast and I apologize, <laughs> but I've been trying well, like, to one get of the there. Interesting things about, one of the interesting things about those Bethesda games is like, oh, you know, it, it brings to life the idea that if you see something in the distance, you can go there, right? Yeah. Where this one seemed, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, mostly because I I don't have time for it in my life right now. I mean, neither do I. <laughs> I don't have time to get sucked in. Um, but, you know, it's more like, oh, you're going to a spaceship and flying off to a planet, which is a little different than, oh, there's like a building over there. I want to see what's yeah. in there. You know what I mean? So I imagine it's a very different mode of Yeah, it's it's a fun game. I'm sure like once I put in 40, 60, 80 hours, I will be, I will be there. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going through the motions at this point. And, uh, and that bums me out. I am so out of touch with video games. I was literally just Googling what this game was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm still playing dying light Two. Nice. that I got like two years ago. And it's just like every <laughs> once in a while I'll sit down for like two hours and play it. And then I won't get to play it for like two weeks. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that, that's, that truly was me. I was having, I, I have literally zero time to do anything anymore. And when, the, and when I do have time, the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a computer again. Um, because I've been sitting in front right. of a computer for so long, but Starfield, you know, it's, it's a big Bethesda game. It's been super hyped up and, and I loved fallout and I was excited to do Starfield and, um, 
but there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, the visuals look fine. The gameplay is fine. I just, I don't know. It just, I think for me, the way Fallout started, Fallout 4 specifically, and the other ones are great too, but like, you know what you want, you know who you are. And I think here you're just, you're just trying to, you spend like 20, 30 hours just trying to figure it out. And for me, a big yeah. part of these games, why I loved Mass Effect, why I loved um, any of these like big open world games like this is that you are, it's so much of it is about character and what you want and what you're doing and the connections that you're building. And I just, I feel like, what am I, what am I doing? You're not there yet. You're not there yeah. yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that is a long time not to be there. I mean, I, I totally understand where, you know, after 20 hours, you hope you have that hook. So hopefully you get to it soon. I, I feel like you described three major parts of any game and you're like, it, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I I just feel like like you're not I mean if you're just thinking it's just fine at 20 hours I, I I think you should let the dream die I mean but these kind of games you're supposed to put in like 200 hours so yeah I mean that is true oh my god I would love to I would love to, be to do that <laughs> I I feel your pain though yeah the, the reason I feel so pissy about it is because I have not played a video game in so long and it's like I have very mm. limited time and so when I do play a video game I want it to be like you know fallen order yeah or, or yeah. mass effect wanted to really get a tooks in you yeah yeah and so i'm just like i i could have i could have read a book i could have read a comic book i could have done anything else that is not sitting here going eh. i got like 20 hours into tears of the kingdom and i'm like i'm not feeling it uh matt and i have I had this discussion this he's gonna yeah we're again. not gonna get into this too much but um just the they pushed so much of like the the building the minecraft stuff mm -hmm. early on in the game that i just I wasn't feeling it because that's not my kind of game. Yeah. I'm, I'm more Mass Effect, Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order, story-driven games. But like, I also, I like Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom because they do give you that world where you can just kind of go do whatever you want. Just Tears of the Kingdom, the Minecraftiness of it, and like the first 15 to 20 hours where they were really pushing, like, you can build a mech, you can do this, you can do that. And I'm just like, I don't care. Just let me, let me find the Dragon Tears. That's what's really driving me forward right now. So like the, the story elements are what really keep me going. And uh, I guess to, to follow the icebreaker question uh, with a, a little bit of a follow-up is uh, how do you find time to enjoy these sort of things when you yourself are a storyteller? Like what do you look for in these moments of games where uh, or movies or comics where they just uh, you're, you're looking for something that is not necessarily an inspiration, but a deviation from what you've been doing. Um, I don't know. I've, I've just always loved other worlds and other stories. I've always loved reading. I mean, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with reading books. I mean, this morning, uh, an ebook. There's a book from Thailand that's a girl love book that um, that is finally translated in English for the first time. And I like was supposed to work this morning, and instead, I read the book. And it was, you know, <laughs> it took me an hour and a half, two hours. I read the whole book. Like, I, I'm just a big. I just like stories. I like I like experiences that are not my own. And, yeah. and, and I just, I've always been in love with, with fantasy and science fiction and just anything like it was never like the, the CSIs or the NCISs or any of those procedural dramas that always hooked me for me. Like when I growing up, it was, it was Xena, it was Buffy, it was, mm -hmm. you know, He-Man and She-Ra and, um, and those kind of stories that were just always told, you know, Battlestar Galactica, the new, the reboot, like those were the stories that really drove me. Battlebalon 5, like, so... It was just, it was worlds that were so different from mine. I grew up in the inner city of Los Angeles and, and there was nothing wrong with that world. I loved 
my neighborhood, my family worked really hard. I had a, you know, I, I worked really, I worked really hard and, um, but I loved the experience of being able to go to these different places. And, and that's what I'm looking for in video games. Like that, that's, I think that's why I gra- gravitate more to R- RPGs and like a call of duty where you're just trying to kill each other. I just love a good story. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. mass effect is my favorite trilogy ever. I can play that over and over and over again. And, and I love that there's different choices that you can make even a shooter mm-hmm. looter, like borderlands where, um, yeah, you're just running around killing things, but the characters are just so fun and interesting. It, I just love a good character. And if you can transport me there and, and help me interact with people and, and have me t- get, send me on a different journey than I would experience here. That's all I'm asking for. Now, do you, do you find as a, a writer yourself, do you find yourself like, I feel like if I, I was a writer, every time I, I came across a story, I'd go, well, I don't think they did it. Like they should have done it this way. <laughs> do you find do you find yourself more heavily critiquing than you think other people not do? Not while I'm watching and not while I'm reading. It's always after. Um, okay. Like, so for example. You shoot up awake in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, wait a second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the only one that's happened to me recently, recently was Blue Beetle. I, I loved Blue Beetle. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I thought it was super important. I wanted to do well because I think we need the representation and it was a charming, mm-hmm. fun to watch movie. I watched it twice. But those opening five to 10 minutes, they did Susan Sarandon so wrong because <laughs> the dialogue was absolutely terrible and super freaking lazy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember sitting in the theater being taken completely out of the movie because like the fr- you, you there, there you open up, it's very cookie cutter. And then like, here's the bad guy. He walks up to her and she's like, okay, here she comes off of the, off of the helicopter, bad guy, Susan Sarandon. And she's like, well, how are we? He's like, it's been great. We're here <laughs> digging this up the, since we found it two weeks ago. And I'm like, yeah, as you know, yeah, she would know that dude. <laughs> like, can you find exposition yeah. dumps and walk and talk? Can you find a more clever way to do that? And then, uh, and then, you know, she, they start walking towards the thing and she's like, well, we better get to it because I've been waiting 15 years. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, that's the stuff that bugs me. Otherwise I tend to just really enjoy the experience for the experience of it. And then afterwards there's very few ones. I think it's just lazy, lazy exposition is what bugs me or like, that's um, yeah. Shadow and bone was another one that I watched it on Netflix and I was like, Oh my God, this is driving me crazy. <laughs> because i could book? predict yeah, everything you, that was happening no i heard the books are amazing it, and i'm excited ways. to read them but the yeah, yeah. sorry no, no no continue i was gonna say exposition is one of those things you need but there's ways to do it that is good i mean it's hard and ways to do it that's bad i have to know? do a lot of that's exposition harder. for power rangers and so um mm-hmm. and, and maybe this is why i'm so sensitive to it maybe i do a crap job myself uh but <laughs> it just like oh shadow and bone I, I just you could predict everything that was gonna happen in this show. And, and I hate, that. <laughs> I hate being like, I mean, there's a formula to everything, right? You have to know, you know, the formula of any movie, you know, you know, you're going to have the thing, then the thing is going to happen. Then they're going to do, and you know, have the fun and games and it's all going to look great. And then you're going to say like, Hey, it's going super great. And then it all goes to crap. And then you're like, Oh no, how it's going to like, all is like every, all is lost. And what's going to happen? Like, you know, the rises and falls, but like, when they get lazy and when you don't try to surprise people anymore, that's when I get annoyed about it. When I can, when. Yeah. Sure. So here's a, 
a trope question. We need to start talking about your your line of work here, but I mean, this is kind of in your line of work. This is in your wheelhouse. You're a writer. Uh, my my wife had me recently read um, the um, what is it called? A Court of Thorns and Roses books. I read the first two, and uh, the first one is kind of like a Beauty and the Beast ripoff uh, until you get to the last like hundred pages, and then it becomes this weird like Hunger Games harry potter kind of story and uh at at, like the page one of the last 100 pages this person who's escorting the main character to the big confrontation with the bad guys like there's three things you cannot do don't make a deal with the bad guy don't drink the wine and don't say i love you to someone and i'm like she's doing all three (laughs) there's she's doing all three you tell a main character not to do something, they're doing it. And like, thanks for, for that's not even foreshadowing. Yeah. So like, as a writer, how do you, how do you, how would you work around a, an instance like that where instead of being like, you're dealing with Tommy in Power Rangers and uh, Alpha says, Tommy, whatever you do, don't look Rita in the eye. Well, sure enough, you're going to, you're basically saying we're going to create a circumstance where Tommy's going to have to look Rita in the eye. I, mean, I think it's one of those things where you have to manage you have to manage twists and turns, right? I, I am a big, like, as, as, despite me, like going on this whole rant about how you could like predict everything in shadow and bone. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for the audience to know where you're going. As long as the journey to get there is good. Like, um, you know, like any movie, you're going to watch a superhero movie. You don't go to watch the superhero lose. And if right. you do, you have to build a lot of trust that eventually they're going to win. I mean, that's why, um, uh, uh, not Endgame, the one before that. Infinity War was so powerful, right? Because they lost, and yeah, right. Um, and but you knew that the next one they were going to win, and like that, and so you had that trust that they had been building in you for ten years. Um, one of the bigger things I think that was hard for me in Power Rangers was, you know, um, it wasn't hard for me, but it was I think a good two differences. Um, there was a narrative storyline where we have a new Green Ranger, and um, and he gets captured by Rita Repulsa. And everybody knew we were going to do a Green Ranger, a Green Ranger 2.0, like an evil Green Ranger 2.0. Like you saw that coming. I laid the tracks pretty clear for everybody. Um, It did not bother me that people knew that we were doing that. Because for me, it wasn't whether or not they knew that was coming. It was the journey to get there and how that pays off differently. A twist that nobody saw coming was when the Power Rangers go to a planet and all of a sudden they see somebody they don't expect to see and they see Alpha One again, which is a robot that we haven't seen in like, you know, 20 issues. That was a twist that nobody saw coming. Um, And then the third kind of twist and turn was ones where I laid the tracks. Some people got it, some people didn't, right? So, um, and that was the vessel, the identity of the vessel, Right. So mm. there's a there's a character called the vessel that is meant to be the host for Dark Spectre when he goes through when he gets through the morphing grid that Rita Repulsa has been grooming. And the whole there's a whole big mystery of who this vessel is and what it's supposed to be. Um, spoiler alert. I'm so sorry if you haven't read the books, but the vessel is the body of Zordon. Um, mm. And I laid the tracks pretty significantly all the way run up to the to the reveal. You know, I, I said, you know, it was it was a warrior that um, a powerful warrior, one that could actually reach the Zeo crystal, mentioned had to be a good warrior. I, I talked like at the opening, the, um, 101, the opening scene was the scene where Zordon loses his body. Like there's a bunch of different things that made it very clear to me that it was going to be Zordon. And if you caught it, fantastic. 
That's what I want. People that are paying attention, that understand. And if you didn't, you got to be surprised. And it was a like, oh, wow, that's not who I expected. And that for me, either one was a win-win. So I think it's one of those things where you have to, you have to be um, flexible with your twists and turns. You can't have them all happen the same way. You know, there's that whole smoking gun theory where you have a, you have, you introduce a gun and uh, in a movie you have to shoot it because people mm-hmm. expect the gun to go off. Um, it's how it goes off that becomes a thing. Right. And, and so for me, that's how I see it. It's like, if you, if you know, you know, something is coming, then you have to make the journey interesting. You, the, the unpredictable yeah. part is how it happens, not that it's going to happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's the whole Maggie shot, Mr. Burns thing from the Simpsons. Yes, exactly. So like, as long as it's interesting and good, like, you can't do a twist for the sake of doing a twist. Um, just so any listeners are aware. And so you guys are aware John lost his internet. Um, he says Comcast can eat a bag of dicks. So uh, I don't disagree. <laughs> Comcast, not a sponsor. Don't want it. <laughs> uh, uh, Melissa, we last talked to you. We, the, the episode we published about the dead lucky came out in July of last year of 2022. And I think we probably talked to you a week or two before that came out. I forget the actual timeline there. So, you know, the entirety of the Dead Lucky, you know, has come out so far since then. I think the last issue that dropped was number eight, if I'm, yeah, if I'm we're, correct. We're moving on to, I think, nine is dropping soon. Yeah. Yeah. So like, we talked to you before any anyone in the public had gotten a hold of it. Um, so I guess my first question to you about that is, like, how do you feel about how, like, the reception? How do you feel about how, like, it's gone? Like, what what are your vibes about where the book's at like eight issues in. I mean, I'm so proud of it. I'm so excited about the second arc. I think the first arc, um, you know, this is the first comic book I've ever done ever. And to be able to do it for image, to be able to do it as a creator owned, um, to be able to do it in the massiverse, which has such an incredible pedigree of, of writers like that. Like I never would imagine to be able to have that kind of start. It was also terrifying because I, I'm a, I've been a development executive forever, but I've been a professional writer for two years. And so um, I need a lot of help. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I got it. And Kyle um, has been absolutely instrumental and Michael uh, in helping me shape the story. And my girlfriend, Sandra, who's consults from a military perspective, um, making sure I'm getting it right. I mean, I, I have to make sure that I, I'm crafting the story as narratively, as carefully as I can um while not losing sight of the original intent which is you know talking about ptsd and and what that means and not but not making it so much of a downer that people don't want to read it so yeah um, sure so that first arc i really loved it because it was a lot happened in in six issues but we ended it in a really unexpected place where um yeah yeah it it was a closed arc she 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 technically lost but she won right um because now we know that there's nothing that's going to stop her from getting in tomorrow and taking them down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that allowed us to have this really nice little complete arc for the first six issues. And then we get to go into Supermassive and allow her to have her connections there. And, um, and then that brings us back into issue seven where we start a new arc and it's, it feels like uh, a season two. It, yeah. In that, you know, we have a new setting. She's now in Moro. We've got new players. We've got um, diff- a little bit of different circumstances, but BB is still as broken as she ever was. 
and um, the connections that she made in issue at the end of issue one with Maria and with Georgia, they're different now too because they've 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 encountered some trauma and some loss, and they're in different places than they were than they were. And so, I, I like to think that what you expect to happen in issue six and the way it starts out issue seven is not what you expect, but that's a good thing because it's um, it becomes uh, more about BB and her and her trauma and her the fact that she just isn't ready to let go and and we do that through introducing a character named pyre who is uh, a character mm-hmm. from her past that um really rocks everything she thinks she knows and uh and in her isolated state it's a really dangerous character for her to know so i'm really excited about where to go and i'm really excited about this arc yeah i admit i have not been able to to read uh, number eight yet admittedly but i was able to to catch uh, up through number seven and that definitely is like one of those last page cliffhangers where you're like oh it's on yeah <laughs> things are about to get wild yeah yeah and, and I, I love so that excited to, i love that i love i'd love excited the, to get to the expectation of the right reader too because i don't think they saw it coming yeah no I, i'm still a little in denial i i i'm, I'm kind of like hey no because we 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 have our truth and now there's a new truth and which truth is the truth. And I'm just, I'm like, I, I need the next issue. But that's the whole point, right? It's, it's this idea of you think, you know, you're stuck in your own world of what you think, you know, and then all of a sudden everything changes. And, and what does it say about her? Yeah. If, if what she thinks she knows is not the truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like very, it's like a thing that is very definitional that may not yeah. be. I mean, should, should we just say it? Anymore. I feel weird talking yeah. around it. That's up to you. That's up to you. I, I mean, at this, I think at this point, I feel like you know. Uh, yeah, spoilers, I guess. Yeah, is, issue eight's been out for a couple yeah. weeks, so I mean, yeah, if if you want to, we, we can just say it, I guess. You know, so the pyre is ghost who uh, she thought died initially, yeah. um, but he did not Previously, die, and yet she still sees yeah. a version of ghost. So what the hell oh, true. Not made is the version yeah, of right. ghost that she's seeing if the real ghost is standing in front of her uh, very different than the guy she knew? So. Yeah, I'm um, getting a little bit of like Darth Vader influenced vibes there where Obi-Wan's <laughs> like, well, I mean, from a certain point of view, ghost is is dead or Vader or Anakin is dead and Vader is now a new entity. So like ghost is what BB is seeing and Pyre is now essentially vader yeah but i, I maybe i'm i'm reading it's too almost deep even, into that uh, and, and not, to, like, not to turn an incesty twist into it but it feels almost like uh yeah very anakin anakin and vader because uh pyre very much wants that connection that they used to have you know they have each other they had each other's backs they were each other's um support system they were both you know um they're both minorities in the army uh they were bo- they're both pansexual um they like have had each other's they have this life and death mentality where they have each other's back no matter what and and the reason why i was so intrigued by that is that um i have friends who are soldiers and they are friends with some horrible people and like like racist horrible people and i'm like why are you friends with these people i don't understand and um and they're like we were in the army together they saved my life like at the end of the day they got my back i got theirs and so it's this weird, like, I, I don't want to judge it. I'm not going to, um, because it, they're absolutely correct. This person would die for them and they would die for this person. And they have, you know, they have put themselves in harm's way and saved their lives in, in these combat situations. And, um, 
But when you get to the real world, it changes a little bit because then there's other things involved that aren't life and death. And so it just gets complicated. And that's kind of the, mm -hmm. that's kind of the relationship I'm exploring with Pyre and BB because when they were in the army, it was easy, but now they're not. And they both have different mentalities and she thinks she has made zero connections in San Francisco and she's losing the connections that she has, but it's she because now here comes Pyre who's telling her that things could be like, you know, different. And, and he is handing her San Francisco and Moro on a plate and says, let's tear it down just like you want. And, uh, and, and she's like, at what cost? At what price? Now there's other factors involved. Now it's complicated. Do I want to go with my gut and just say, screw it and, and do exactly what he's doing because it's easy or do I, do I have to take these other people into account? And know that if I do what he wants me to do, it's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah, that's that good, crunchy character stuff. And it's also a book about, you know, a woman who like runs around in robots, <laughs> which is so it's just like, it's the best of all worlds. I mean, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, uh, part of why I wanted John on here is because he is a military veteran. Uh, unfortunately, his internet is not as reliable as mine, despite us living across the street from each other. Um, uh, I, I, I do wish we had his input with, with oh, that feedback too, yeah. that you just gave us about, I don't want to speak for him, so I'm not going to, but um, it, I, I do know military veterans. Uh, I, I'm related to a few and uh, they, they've stated a lot of what you just did where um, they're like, yeah, they're, they, that person's a piece of shit, but we went through that shit together. And now like, I know, I have a support system there, even though they may not be morally on the same wavelength as I am. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think I mentioned this the last time we talked and again, I'm also, you know, I've never been in the military. I've, you know, a lot of people we grew up with John included um, are people that through various way, ways went through the military. But um, one of the things that really clicked with me when reading the dead lucky, what I've read of it, to date is that a lot of that stuff rings true with like the things that they have told me, like their experiences they've relayed to me. So, um, you know, I know that's not worth much coming from someone who has not experienced it, but it, it feels very authentic. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, I haven't either. And yeah. I'm fully candid about that. I, I'm not a soldier and I don't have that mentality, but I, I think that's why it's important for us to talk about this stuff because you and I, we don't have that experience, but these other people do. <laughs> And as long as we don't, we aren't open about those, those experiences and these, these conflicts and complications, we're never going to really understand where they're coming from. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we have with veterans. Not, I mean, not the biggest challenge. There's a lot of challenges veterans face when they come in. But I think one of the hardest things for them to do is that they feel very isolated and they feel very alone because nobody but the people that they went through stuff together are going to understand what they went through. And they come home with their families and their partners and their loved ones and their children, and they just don't get it. And, and all, you know, I, I, I can, I can look at a person and be like, that guy's a racist piece of crap. Like, why are, why are you even spending time with this person? Or why are you, why do you keep making excuses for this person? And until you sit there and understand like, no, this person saved my life and almost got killed or got tortured because of me. Uh, and, and it, it, how do you, how do you throw that connection away? It's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no black and white. Everything's shades of gray. Yeah. So, um, what I'm hoping is a little bit of a shade of gray. Um, <laughs> looking at uh, the the previews world, uh, 
uh, FOCs uh, for August, um, our friend friend of the show, Marty from Panels to Panels, uh, he mentioned and brought to my attention that uh, Image now lists Dead Lucky uh, for the October issue number 10 is of 12. So when we last spoke uh, last year, you had said you'd feel lucky if you were able to tell your six issue story with BB. And obviously you've gotten to expand it into further issues. Is 12 the cutoff at this time for BB or is that just... Why don't we stay tuned at this point? Stay tuned. Okay. 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 I will say if, if it was 12 issues, I'd be lucky to have them. And, um, and yeah, I do sure. feel like I could tell that narrative in 12 issues. Uh, is it 12 issues? I, I can't say right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure, sure. We don't want to get okay. you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so, so with, with these issues, uh, with going into such depth of trying to be authentic with, uh, the military experience as well. How do you convey that to your creative team with your your artists, your colorists, and everything? Maybe the coloring isn't necessarily as in depth. Like they see the image and they go, "I can do this with that." Yeah, it's a lot of uh, reference so images and, and a lot of detail in the scripts. A lot, a lot, a lot of detail. Um, and and I, don't, I honestly don't think I even get it right all the time because sometimes Sandra will come in and be like, "That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong," and I'll be like, "I'm sorry, I don't I, okay." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I mean, you, you only do what you can. Right. And so I just I'm just I'm just hoping I do enough that I don't break, break, you know, throw people out of the story. That's my hope. No, that's all I can do. It seems, you know, from my perspective, it seems like. Yeah. And French isn't a soldier either. Can. So he can only go by what he sees. So. <laughs> right. He's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, oh, man, I my head is swimming from all the this like depth that we've been going into and um i'm sorry uh no no <laughs> that's it, good it, it's a good depth but it's it's throwing me off my i usually like to be a little more free-flowing and now i'm just like but we in these and <laughs> john i i, I oh, man I, I feel bad john's not here because now i'm feeling guilty about it too let's pivot over to i mean we could maybe always circle back but something i'm curious about that i'm always curious about um you know you you are writing a miniseries, Spider-Gwen Smash, that starts in December. Mm -hmm. um, how did that come about? I'm always curious. You know, sometimes you hear, oh, I got this gig because Marvel was soliciting pitches or I went to them. Like, did, did somebody approach you or did you? Um, no, I'm, 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 have I have a it? lucky, lucky person. Um, I was approached by a wonderful editor called Sarah Bernstead to do Women of Marvel uh, and contribute a story into to that, an anthology. Called, oh, I did not um, know that. Oh, yeah, and it was it was called Starling Rescue, and I wrote an America Chavez and Kate Bishop adventure. It was a girls' night out gone terribly wrong. Uh, it was eight oh, pages. Oh, great. I missed that issue. Up, yeah, it. it was fun. It was eight pages. Uh, had a blast doing it, and if that was all I ever did for Marvel, I would have been happy because I got to write America Chavez and Kate Bishop, and those two I have mm -hmm. loved forever. Um, but in doing that... Um, apparently they had a good experience with me and they liked me. And so um, I was reached out to by another editor who read the story and liked it. And her name is Ellie Pyle and an associate editor called MR Daniels. And they said, would you be interested in doing an echo miniseries for um, Marvel voices infinity? So the infinity app, the Marvel unlimited app has web comics um, that are exclusive to the app. And so I did a five, six issue or six, six, yeah, six issue miniseries for marvel voices for them 
Um, really proud of that one. It's still ongoing, but you should, if you have the Marvel Unlimited app, please check it out. I um, worked really hard on it. I actually uh, spoke to a friend of mine who was a Kiowa tribesman and uh, mm. talked to him about uh, his tribe and about um, some some concerns that he had about Native American uh, issues. And, um, and I got to really just thread that into the story a little bit. And so it's about Echo going back to the res, which is a reservation that um, is for displaced people, displaced tribe, tribes, people that don't know their tribe and is, is brought into another adventure on the res and, um, and meets uh, a woman who was uh, taken away from her family, from her uh, Kiowa parents uh, at a very young age. And they were arrested at a traffic stop and she was adopted by a white family and then never got to see them again. And so, uh, she wants to turn back time and change that. And, um, and echo is, is stuck with the, the moral question of whether or not she should let that happen. And sure, especially yeah. given that she was taken from her father was taken from her at a very young age as well. So it's a very character-focused story, and, and we kind of go into the true story of a lot of Native American children who were taken away from their families, and yeah. a lot of those mothers were forcibly sterilized, and they had to pass an act um, in, like, the 70s to stop it from happening, and it was called one of the most ignored laws in history. Uh, so it's it's it was so interesting um, and and to learn about it and hear about it. I'm not Native American, um, but I, I do have that kind of blood. I don't know what kind, but I've been told by my, my grandfather <laughs> that I do. So, um, I'm, and I'm not trying to claim it, but um, but I do feel a responsibility to, to make sure I tell that story correctly. So I got to tell that story with them. Completely different experience, a lot of fun. Um, and apparently they liked working with me. And so they offered me a, a Spider-Gwen miniseries. And so that's what we're working on now. Great. Yeah, I mean... Um... In print. You know, I, yes, yeah. So it feels like I'm leveling up a little bit each time. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did have a question about the the Spider Gwen comic because uh, the the description on the Marvel page from the San Diego Comic Con announcement uh, it says it's a a new twist on the characters essentially, or like new takes on old characters. So could this kind of be like a soft reboot of, Gwen, I think, Gwen's from Earth 65? So, no, so. what's going on, it, it's it's the Gwen we always know and love, but it is Gwen in her home dimension, which is, yeah, Earth 65. And the great thing about Earth 65 is that there's not a lot, hasn't been really explored all that much yet. So there are characters that you might know very, very well that maybe have not, you know, their incarnations have not shown up in Earth 65. Up until this point, up until this point, uh, a lot of times the bad guys are not really very cool in Earth 65. They're kind of like rejects leftovers. <laughs> and um, that's not to say that the ones that you're seeing in the amazing miniseries, there's, you know, there's a really amazing version of Silk in there and Sue Storm and, and some really cool people. But, um, but for the most part, it's not like uh, 616 where it has like everybody and he's got a med Avengers like she has self-proclaimed that her Earth 65 is, is pretty lame when it comes to superheroes and supervillains. You know, she's like fighting bodega bandits. She's not fighting like big guys, which is why you see her constantly leaving and going like doing yeah, right. Spider-Verse stuff other places. <laughs> it's hard for her to want to stick around. And so um, the the whole purpose of this miniseries is she can't leave. She's she it's Earth sixty five. She's stuck there because she's going on tour with the Mary Janes, 
And so we get to see different um, incarnations of iconic characters. And so the ones I can probably reveal at this point are um, Dazzler. We get to see this that version of Dazzler and Lila Chini's in there and, and some other ones that are surprising and fun. Um, and we'll see where, we'll see who else you see. <laughs> <laughs> Dazzler definitely makes sense given the, uh, the subject matter. Um, oh, having so much fun with her. Yeah. And Lila Shaney, are you like an old school X-Men head or uh, I, you just, I just, she's so fun. <laughs> yeah, there were other characters I pitched. I will say that there like Marvel okay. had, um, Marvel had, had very much had requests. And so it was, gotcha. it was a conversation yeah. back and forth. I, I had pitched a different take a little bit and then they came back and were like, we love this, but we want you to do things with that. And so it became, yeah, well, it's, just a yeah, it's always, it's always a conversation, especially in a licensed book. And so we ended up with Dazzler and Lila Chini and some other characters. And, um, and, and I can't say I feel bad about it. Like I, I love, yes, I love, of course. I, she's so OP and so interesting and so fun. <laughs> and I love, I don't feel like she's been utilized super well lately. Not that, you know, anybody, people haven't done an amazing work, but like she was just, I think she, she was just killed in Hellfire Gala. Wasn't she like, like at the last time we saw her, she was like, <laughs> a lot of people were so, killed. <laughs> so, um, so I'm having fun with her and I'm having fun with this take of her, which is like a Gaga, Britney Spears ask kind of like pop diva. Wonderful. That's just like Great. a badass. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. I think about something like that where I'm not a writer, but if it's me, I feel like I would be like terrified of writing a character who at this point has now been in like two of the best superhero movies ever made. <laughs> I Okay. That was my question. Yeah. How do, how do you deal with that? I mean, so those, that characterization of Gwen is so unique and so well executed that I just feel like you can't really touch it. Right. That is its own thing. You kind of just have to let it live. And, um, and I'm trying not, I'm, I'm not thinking about that Gwen. The only thing that I took about that yeah. Gwen was that opening sequence of into the spider verse where she's playing the drums and you just see sure. how much she needs it and how, like how mm -hmm. much of her emotion is pouring out in those drums. And, and we're really exploring her relationship with music in this mini series. And, right. um, and that's what I took from that series. Um, it is terrifying because everybody I talk to who <laughs> finds out I'm doing spider Gwen is like, Oh, my kid loves spider Gwen. She's obsessed. And I'm just like, Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I really, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I, I loved spider Gwen. I loved that first initial run of spider Gwen when Peter Parker died and, and you saw like all this crazy thing happen, like, these things happen to her and just like everything, like it's just her terrible, no bad, no good week. Like that was just such an amazing. <laughs> and so that's kind of, she's just, she's so emotionally constipated and, <laughs> and that's the Gwen that I'm running with. I was going to yeah, ask if great. there was going to be any uh, Jason Latour influences or even just like acknowledgements of taking it from there. Cause I feel like the spider Gwen books, kind of derailed for lack of a better word pretty quickly like i think latour had a really good run yeah and then it like you said like they realized 65 wasn't the most interesting earth that had been created so they just kind of kept universe jumping her yeah so I, I do think that that the latour stuff as a foundation is still really solid i mean i take everything everything even even the runs that people might not might not like i, I think are there's always something really cool to have to take from True. those characters. And it's all part of, yeah, the tapestry, it's all part of the right? tapestry, all mm -hmm. part of what makes the character. And I think the, the, 
the best kind of story is when you're doing these stories and you're taking characters in, and I learned this on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you don't want to dishonor anything that's come before you. You want to honor everything that every writer has put into these books because they care about these characters and they've each wanted to tell their own stories. And it would be very rude of me to go be like, that doesn't happen. Screw that. I didn't like that. Yeah. I'm, I'd rather take what they did. And if I, if I could find some opportunities to plug some holes, I will absolutely take them. Even if it's just like a sentence or two to be like, Hey, remember that thing that like they never talked about again? Guess what? Here it is again. I promise nobody forgot it's here. I read about it and I remembered like that's, <laughs> that's what I will do. I'm not going to dishonor what anybody's ever done. I want to take what everybody's, what everybody's done. And I want to, I want to ha- make it part of who this character is because it is that character has, has the scars and, and things that have happened to them that, are affected have affected them and i don't want that to feel like it didn't matter gwen is such a complicated character because she doesn't have an ongoing right now she has a bunch of mini series which means a bunch of many different people have talked have, have touched her and so that has that has proved a little challenging but i don't think it's impossible and i think that she's remained pretty steadfast and as to as far as who she is and the people of around her have as well you know i really love her, this version of mary jane and um and that relationship and i love her father like there's 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 consistencies mm-hmm. that allow you to really enrich this world and i'm having a blast enriching earth, world earth 65 um and just making it more of of her home that she will feel a little more comfortable in as opposed to the need to constantly run off and do her own thing yeah i mean i'll admit it was not it was not, not a book that was totally on my radar until we were talking about setting up this interview and between like you know, everything we've talked about and just reading about, you know, the, the pitch, I'm, I'm sold. I think. Oh, I, I hope you it like it. Really Thank great. you. I appreciate it. It's terrifying for me because Marvel is such a bigger platform. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, I bet. I mean, and I, yeah, but, and I was almost crucified for my woman of Marvel story because somebody read something that was out of context and like put it, the panel on a website <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah, you know? it was. It was a. As, yeah, it, I thank God. Like I, I was terrified that people were gonna find out. They're like somebody was like, "Who wrote this?" And I was like, "Not me." <laughs> it was. It was. Um, <laughs> so Miles Morales, Miles Morales makes an appearance at the end of it, and Miles Morales is Spider Man, and Kate Bishop is Hawkeye, and um, yeah, and they're they're going to find starlings, which are you know the the girls that that America Chavez was raised with, and they find a starling but it is not the starlings it is starling who is miles morales's girlfriend and (laughs) and so kate makes a joke about how um they need to be more original with their names and (laughs) and because he shows up and she's like yeah this is what i'm talking about we need to be more original with our names and like somebody posted just that panel without any other context and said like well fuck kate bishop (laughs) and people just (laughs) lost their minds and and yeah. uh, and they're they're like, what the hell? That's like the, she's a Hawkeye. How she has no room to talk. I'm like, that's the point. That's yeah, the right. joke. As <laughs> as someone who has been an ardent defender of the currently ongoing Amazing Spider-Man <laughs> run, which has been very controversial. Yeah. Um. All, all I can say is, you know, the takes out there on the internet are. Wild. I mean, <laughs> truly, I was watching that with bated breath, being like, they're going to find out who wrote this and they're going to come after me. Yep. <laughs> and I'm just going to have to ignore it. But also, like, it's everything in me is going to be like, that's the point. Read. It's eight pages, man. Yep. It's not going to take a lot of time. Just read the book. I promise. Like, reading comprehension is there. 
The point is that they all have the same story than this one panel you saw online. (laughs) Well, thankfully, a lot of people did read the story and were like, uh, yeah, read the story. (laughs) Like, that's the point. (laughs) Like, that whole point is that going after somebody that has the same name, it's like somebody else and that she has the same name. She even mentions that Clint and her are constantly confused because they have the same name. So. Well, I'm sorry you had to deal with the gaping wound on the internet that is I, I think i didn't have course. to because they didn't find me i had to go looking for that but if they had <laughs> even to stare in the face of it is to court madness <laughs> and those are the same people that get mad that in a children's show because they can't have two spider-men for, for marketing purposes they got they would probably get mad to find out that miles morales is called spin in spidey and his amazing friends on disney jr oh my gosh i do think that's a worse name I it's, not, it's, it's not it's not the best name <laughs> No, it, and I'm not. I'm not defending that. I'm just saying they it would sounds probably like you be are, mad. and I think you like, should be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're gonna clip this and put it. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it a headliner. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll put it on TikTok. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of following a legacy in Mighty Morphin, and uh, you you have a history with saving brands uh, before you became uh, the writer for this fantastic comic, which. Like, I, I feel like it has gone from amazing writer to amazing writer to amazing writer. To I mean, it's a credit writer, to the so editors like, who find these amazing writers and cultivate them. But yes, continue. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so with, with Darkest Hour, um, I may be forgetting if Ryan had a big event, um, but this is this feels like the, the second big event for the Mighty Morphin brand since it came back uh, as a comic in, uh, I believe, 2015. Can you at least tell us like how many issues are uh, planned as of right now for Darkest Hour? Yeah, and um, like a little bit of the inspiration behind Darkest Hour. Yeah. Um, so Brian had events; they just weren't anniversary events because they weren't anniversary seasons. Right? He had the Altarian War. He had the Charged One Hundred. That's he right. He had uh, Necessary Evils. He had some great, great, great events. They were all fantastic. Um, Shattered Grid was the twenty fifth anniversary event, which is a little different. And then this is the Darkest Hour, which is a thirtieth anniversary event. So um, it is scheduled to okay. last for a year. So it will wrap up in twenty two, one twenty two, and um, and it is it is definitely it is <laughs> it is meant to take everything that has come before it and just make it all explode. That that is I. I <laughs> I'm in a really weird and special position in that I was an executive on the books when they first started. So I feel very proprietary about those storylines, even though they weren't written by me, I was being pitched them and discussed them. And and that's how I got to know Kyle and how I got to know Ryan. And I was in rooms arguing with them and, um, and arguing with Daphna and, and hearing those pitches and, and reading every script and seeing every layout. So I, I feel very connected to those stories. And so being able to pay them off, um, or just take what they've done and and put them together in a different way has been very special to me. I don't want to say that this is anything close to Shattered Grid because that was a very that was a perfect event. Um, I'm just trying to do the best I can, and as somebody that loves Power Rangers, I'm really having a blast um, putting it together in my own way. Yeah, I and again, I I can't compliment the the Mighty Morphin, the Power Rangers, like everything Kyle and Ryan did, like collaboratively and like with the the editors and everyone, uh, leading up into and through Shattered Grid beyond, and what you've done, what Matt did with his quick little run, uh, like this has just been every month. Looking forward to this book is a Saturday morning for me. Like it's just 
it hit, I, I think Kyle said it uh, when he first came out with the book is that this isn't a retelling of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's not necessarily the same characters. It's how you feel about them looking back at them. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect way of putting it. And you guys have continued that legacy through where these guys, they feel like the characters we know, but they have grown a little bit with us through these 30 years. Yeah, I'm... Can only do what I can, right? Um, and I'm taking these really iconic characters, and, and they're the characters as they live in my head. And I, I just to, to keep myself from going completely crazy, I just always have to remember that I'm not going to please everybody, and that I have to just stay with my own truth and my own love of the characters. And hopefully, enough people will follow them, um, and at least at least get, grant me the grace to do them, to do it. Um, but you know, I, I have very very specific characterizations for these people they may not be exactly what people expected you know like billy gets really violent these last couple of issues uh for me i, I he, there's absolutely a good reason why but um but if you have no context for the last hundred issues and all of a sudden you see billy trying to like straight up kill somebody you're just like what the hell that's not billy so it really just you know uh it, it depends on, on the circumstances of the character i think yeah i saw that panel on twitter and i have some thoughts so i'd like to share with you <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been fantastic. I, I've loved this 112 issues has just been more phenomenal to coin a phrase. Um, and, uh, it just, um, I had another, how, how much fun is it dealing with the Omega Rangers? Um, I mean, I love, I love those characters. It's a lot of characters though. And that's, that's been hard. That was going to be my follow-up is how do you balance having essentially, what would it be? 11 Rangers, 12 Rangers I just do arcs. in a book. I do arcs. Um, <laughs> that's all I can do. You know, uh, I, I give everybody little bits and little arcs in this, in this, you know, they go back and forth and, and then they'll go to the background a little bit and then they'll come back and they'll have their little moments. And so I try to keep the journey in mind. Uh, but, but really it's a matter of just, you know, making sure I'm keeping track of everybody and where they're going and, and, and making sure that even if, you know, that they're not where they started, I think the ones that have probably suffered the most that have had the least amount of attention paid to them are Adam and Rocky. And I feel bad about that. Um, I have plans for them definitely. Uh, but it's just, it's hard. <laughs> there's a lot of characters, you know, there's Omega <laughs> Rangers, there's, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, there's Matt, there's Bulk, there's Skull, there's Jason, there's Zordon, there's Rita, there's Zed, there's the Vessel, there's Dark Spectre, there's like all these, and, and that's not including the Draken Rangers and the Hyperforce Rangers and the Anniversary Rangers that show up, and you don't want them to show up for no reason, and so they're, so it's, it's hard, um, you know, there's Grace, there's Tarona, there's like all these different characters that you have to serve and provide, make sure that they're set, they're satisfying narratively, and so, you know, Billy is a perfect example. Billy didn't have a lot to do in the first 10 issues. And, um, and then, you know, we lost grace in 110, and that has kind of kicked off his, his character growth or his character story. Um, because now suddenly he's got a lot of responsibility that he didn't have before. And he's dealing with the grief of a mentor, the grief of losing a mentor. That was really special to him. I did get a text from John, just a little bit ago, um, it's all in caps because I said, hey, it looks like you're not getting your internet back. Is there anything you want us to ask? And he, in all caps, it says, 
OMG, ask her why there have not there has not been an explanation about the powers. Like, why is she suddenly electric? And I don't know if you listened to our Matt Groom episode, but Matt's like, you can ask the, these questions, but I there might not I mean, be an answer. I think it's very clear that he has not read the latest issue because we explain <laughs> oh. where the powers come from in that you issue. You are being called out. <laughs> You're not even here to defend yourself. I admitted I didn't read it. You. There's there's a flashback in, in yeah. There's a flashback in issue nine. We're getting there. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I did ask if uh, he he had any kind of reaction or um, comments about the representation of the military experience. He did say that it, it seemed like you had had consultant consultant. Yes. Thank you. My brain work. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it seemed like you had a consultant, uh, a military consultant to work with you. And I was like, yeah, her girlfriend uh, is a veteran who yep. works with her. And he's like, well, she, I, they've been doing really great oh, work Oh, I will together. let her know. Thank you. She also does the recipes at the end of the book, too. Ah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was going to ask about that, actually, because I know that there's one in every issue. And I was curious if those were all, you know, original. They are all original. She, she, I, I tell her, I'm like, can I get a, a recipe for this issue? She's like, okay, when do you need it? And then she'll <laughs> she'll go through. Does she she concoct? Does she concoct it on demand, or are they like old family recipes? No, she does it on demand. She's very good at it. Wow! Because they're yeah. all they're all fusion. They're all Chinese Mexican yeah. recipes. You know, Hold on she's, she's all Chinese. On tight. Oh. <laughs> I admit I've not tried any, but they all seem chef's kiss. Thank you. Great. <laughs> with the massive verse, where would you like to see BB go within this universe? Like, obviously the the main idea of the Massiverse of all the, is all these books exist within their own little corner and you don't have to read five other books, six other books to know what's happening in one book. So if you had a dream list of where BB could go within this universe or like collaborations that you could make within her little corner of the universe, what would what would you like to see happen without going too deep into spoilers? I'd like her to find some peace. That would be definitely nice. Um, I don't think she has to stop doing what she's doing. And I don't think you have to be a superhero. You have to be broken to be a superhero. But I definitely would love that, you know, to find a little bit more of a connection. Because um, right now she's kind of sabotaging everyone she has. Um, I'd love to see her talk to Dylan a little bit more. Because uh, I think her and Dylan and Rogue Son have a lot in common. And they both have a lot of trauma. And I think she could probably help them a little bit. Um, he's, he's kind of searching for an older figure and I think she'd gravitate to that kind of a broken kid that could help. Um, I also think she'd fall absolutely in love with Radiant Red. <laughs> she might want to kick the crap out of Marshall, but she would love Radiant Red. <laughs> well, that's why we like that guys. Cause you kind of want to. <laughs> well, how about this before we let you go? Um, is there anything that you would like to any any projects you want to tease any developments in your books like any hints you want to give us for dead lucky for spider gwen for power rangers any morsels no, you want I'm to leave people with um <laughs> no i'm working on some really exciting fun stuff and um i can't talk about it yet but hopefully by new york comic-con i can i will just say that great great well we will keep an ear out you know it's one of those things where um and part of this is because, as you mentioned, Dead Lucky is your first comics work, but it feels like as soon as after I was aware of you as a writer, I start seeing you everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like you buy a red car and suddenly you see red cars everywhere. Like, I'm like, oh, that, that project looks interesting. Oh, it's Melissa Flores. I've talked to her. That's it's so. I'm trying. 
Until you guys get tired of me, <laughs> well, you'll keep seeing me. <laughs> well, at least from where I'm sitting, it, it's working. I it. So far, I have not read everything you've written, but what I have read is A+. plus. Love it. Agreed. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I can only keep saying that we appreciate the stories you're telling and uh, the collaborations you've been doing because, uh, I mean, we wouldn't be here talking if it weren't for that. And also just your generosity with your time, as uh, I, I mentioned earlier, you, you put out a tweet about how you have deadlines. So we'll let you get to your Indian food and we'll we'll let you get back to work. Uh, it was an absolute <laughs> or pleasure. Or Starfield, whichever you feel impl- implied, inclined to no, do. No, I, I love talking to you guys every time. You guys always ask some such interesting questions. And honestly, I go away from it always thinking about what we talked about. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I, I'm sure my scripts will be better for it this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, don't forget, this is the last Massive Verse episode that will be coming out before the end of the Kickstarter for Infernal Girl Red Book 2. So please back that book if you have not already. And uh, Melissa, again, thank you so much. If you're not subscribed to the listener, if you're not subscribed to the Dead Lucky, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, uh, Spider-Gwen on tour begins in December. Follow that and get on that Melissa Flores hype train. Please join us on Discord, follow our social medias. Uh, Melissa, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you on social media? Yeah, um, I am on uh, Twitter. I, I just can't call it the other thing. Um, I refuse. I refuse. <laughs> I, I call it Lonnie's website because it's going to bur- crash and burn. I'm so. on Twitter and Instagram, though not as much recently because I've just been like buried in stuff. But um, you can always find me at Misty underscore Flores on both. Uh, Facebook is just for friends and family. So if you send me a friend request and I don't respond, it's only because all you're going to get is all my cousins in Mexico. I, like, <laughs> it's, it's not, you're not getting anything special on that website. You're going to get most of it on Instagram. So. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Matt. Thank you for your time, John. I know you were only here for like five seconds and made two comments, but I appreciate you making the effort and everyone. Thanks again. Give the massive verse your love as you can. And take care and we'll see you next week uh, where we will either be talking to Ryan Parrott or Kyle Higgins depending on availability.